This is a podcast from the Southeast Technological University. Welcome to um, this podcast, Why Gender Equality is for Men Too, which I'm hosting on behalf of uh, the technological higher education sector to mark International Men's Day 2022. Uh, my name is Ross Woods. I'm the, the head of the Centre of Excellence for Equality, Diversity and Inclusion at the Higher Education Authority. This podcast, I guess, is um, is for International Men's Day, but rather than a focus on men's issues, um, the discussion today will consider how men can be catalysts of change for better gender equality across the higher education cent- sector. And what we'll look at is why gender equality is for men too, and why it's not only an issue for our female colleagues. Lots of work has been done across our higher education institutions since the first HEA National Review of Gender Equality in 2016. And it seems really timely to have this discussion today as the HEA is on the verge of publishing the second National Review of Gender Equality. Uh, today I'm joined by, uh, in no particular order, David Deniff, uh, Vice President Academic Affairs and Registrar Student Experience at SETU. Michael Loftus, Vice President External Affairs at MTU. Liam Brown, Vice President Research Development and Innovation at TUS. Martin McHugh, Head of Department of Visual and Human Centre of Computing, DKIT. Philip Owende, Assistant Head of Academic Affairs, Technological University, Dublin. And David Smith, President at IADT. And you're all very welcome here today. Um, and thank you for, for joining me. What I'd like to start with first is to ask each, each one of you um, a, a personal question, I guess, a background. Um, you know, what brought you to the table to discuss gender equality today? And David, Deniff, I might start with you. Yeah, I've um, been involved in the gender equality and the EDI space since about 2016-17 here in SETU or formerly IT Carlo. And I've been a member of the EDI steering committee here. And the, the, um, I've been heavily involved. I'm now the EDI co-lead uh, for SETU and chairing our, our EDI committee. So um, I'm, my interest in EDI goes back to the fact that um, I believe that gender equality is, is pivotal in ensuring that um, we operate effectively and have all the voices that are in our institutions absolutely on board. And I think that's, that's a real... I think that's a key thing for me. That's why I'm involved. I want I want to make a difference, and I want I want to, to have all of our people on board in in doing that. Great, Th- thanks very much, David. Um, Michael, I might move on to you with the same question. Uh, thanks, Ross. Uh, I have many family members and friends who are LGBTQA plus. I've seen uh, up close the battles they've had to fight to be accepted as their authentic selves. Battles that I never had to fight for myself. And this just seemed to me to be uh, desperately unfair. I've had the, the good fortune to attend multiple events organized by Tenai, the Transgender Equality Network of Ireland. And I, I got remarkable insights through that process. Uh, for example, lack of availability of toilet facilities for uh, uh, transgender people, the transgender community, challenges around personal safety, lack of knowledge acceptance across the uh, health system, loneliness, isolation, lack of allies and support networks. So all of that uh, really um, uh, indicated to me that uh, I needed to be active 
in this uh, context. And I decided I'd do all I could to, within my sphere of influence, to try and address these issues. So took on uh, tasks like uh, driving the installation of gender-neutral toilets in MTU, pushing for gender-based quotas at our academic council, working to secure uh, Sally female professorship for MTU, and so on. So seeing people's life stories up close, being in a position of authority where I could do something in relation to that, trying to bring the two of those together really is what brought me here today. Thanks, Michael. That's that's great. Um, Liam, would you, would you be able to come in with, with your thoughts on that question? Thank you, Ross. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I, I think it's it, it's important that uh, men uh, are also champions of EDI and supporting the cause, which which I feel is is very strongly about. I mean, and, and similar to a number of the other universities, uh, we have an EDI steering group for, for which I'm 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 involved in. Uh, I, we, I was part of the Athena successful Athena Swan team that that. Uh, uh, received the, the bronze award for Athena Swan. I've also been a, a mentor on the Aurora program, which is which is a super program for 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 development of, of um, uh, uh, the, the, the female colleagues. But on the personal side, and I, I always like to bring back to personal, I've, I've been, I suppose, interested and supportive of the need for uh, equality uh, for, for years. And, and, and my, my own, it comes from my own family background. My mother was one of the first 12 uh, female vanguardies they were called in the country when, when they started. Uh, she was, she was the, the first sergeant that came with her uh, uh, recruits to Limerick. She married my father, who was also uh, another sergeant in the guards. But of course, her being a woman, and back then the marriage bar was in place, she had to leave the force. So that, that's an example of you know where we were, and obviously we, we've moved a long way since then, but have we come all the way? I'm, I'm a proud father of two daughters, and I want to make sure that the world that they're going to uh, uh, inherit and, and, and work in is one where they have the opportunities of equality. So hence, personally, very uh, vested in, in, in this whole space. Great. Thanks very much, Liam. Um, Martin, could you come in? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm coming from a tech space from the IT. I, I've been involved in over 20 years as from, from students into industry, then back into academia. And I suppose in my early career, you know, there was certainly a gender inequality, surely from a numbers perspective. Um, and I, I would never really register with me. I kind of went about my day. Uh, and same then when I moved into industry where when we compared the number of male engineers versus female engineers, you know, it, it, but again, didn't kind of register. I, I went about my day's, uh, day's business. But then I, I had good fortune uh, in a previous role within DIT, as it was known at the time, to, to be involved in some activities because you know, there was great emphasis at that time looking at the balance within the classrooms. And, and, and I was very lucky to be exposed to some, some, some excellent people involved in some great projects in that space. And it really opened my eyes. That, that's when the, the, sort of the, the veil was lifted. And I started looking differently. I started saying, well, actually, when I was 10 years ago, when I, I was you know, with a team of 10 engineers and there was, there was only two female and eight male, probably wasn't a healthy balance at the very least and now as i've moved on further into management i see actually the real benefits where we have a healthier balance in classrooms so and that's even just from numbers um from an equality perspective um like i'm sure many here i, I have a daughter that's i want to see the world a better place from when my daughter comes up uh, i am very proactive in keeping her in everything that would have historically been, been male dominated 
uh, just to, you know, my little bit to try and sort of change the space. But I recognize that one man, one person isn't going to change things. It's been involved in bigger activities such as this. So it's both, I suppose, personal and professional for me. So I, I'm also now heavily involved with our EDI committee here within DKIT. And we have some great initiatives going on here. And to me, certainly from where I've seen from 2015 kind of to where we are now, we're definitely moving in a very, very good direction. Uh, and that's positive to see. So that, that's my, my backstory, basically. Great. Thanks, Martin. Um, Philip, how about you? Um, what brought you to the table to discuss gender equality today? Uh, thanks very much, Ross. Uh, uh, first of all, I strongly believe in uh, gender equality uh, in higher education. But uh, but before I, I, I talk about what brought me here, just to give you my background, I origin, I'm originally from Kenya and I come from a culture where gender inequality and uh, the male dominance were, uh, were celebrated and probably continues to be celebrated up to now. And even in the basic female rights uh, uh, to education, for example. Uh, however, and now in the middle of that, uh, I was born in a family of 11, uh, eight girls and three boys. And, who'd have, uh, and I would have seen my parents, specifically my father, struggling quite a bit to invest in and justify why girls had equal rights to education uh, through high school. And, and even the university. Uh, and when they could uh, easily sit back, like the majority of his age mates, and watch, uh, watch the girls getting married away someday. Now, within our family, there was quite a fierce academic competition. Uh, uh, unfortunately, in many instances, the girls prevailed. And therefore, I have grown with the understanding that given equal opportunities, males and females must be considered equal in life. Now, again, a background, I had two aunts who were quite exposed to gender-based violence, and one was almost killed, and for the simple reason that she could not extricate herself or master the courage to extricate herself from the marriage. Now, in the present life, I've been a member of the HEA Athena Swan uh, National Intersectionality Working Group, on race and ethnicity, which also encompasses gender equality. And currently, I'm also a member of the HEA expert group that is reviewing the gender equality in Irish higher education 2022. Thanks, Philip. And um, David Smith, I, I might finish um, this, this particular question with you. What brought you to the table? Thanks, Ross. Uh, like what our colleagues have said there, I think you have to look at it from a personal position first, and and that's you know that's a husband, you know, a father to a daughter, and a, and a brother to a sister, and that's that you you hope that you know opportunities will will be consistent for them. I've somewhat unique position in in respect. I have seventeen year old twins, a boy and a girl, and you know I look at already the differences in respect of the social dynamics and the opportunities that are actually played out for them, um, and my wife is also. She's also a very public advocate for gender pay equality, and she's a social entrepreneur, an advocate, and she set up an organization called uh, Work Equal maybe 10 years ago. And so I've watched that grow, uh, Dress for Success and Work Equal, um, and alongside her and her deeper insights into it, what has been absolutely consistent is that positive action or positive change for female colleagues happens from leadership positions and typically for men. And so I've deepened my knowledge alongside the journey that she's been on. And as I moved into this role, it became increasingly apparent that um, I had to provide leadership to ensure that the opportunities that my female colleagues or, you know, my daughter and her peers in the future, that, that, that those opportunities will be there. Um, 
in IADT, when, when I became president, uh, one of the first things I did was I ensured that the EDI uh, office reported directly into me um, and that it was very, very clear that that was the standing uh, and, and priority for the Institute. And I think that's proven to be very effective. And uh, we've just recently achieved the Athena Swan uh, Bronze Award under the revised Irish Charter. So so it's it, it's like, like all of our colleagues here, it is personal. But it is a significant responsibility that I think that uh, as men in leadership that we bear uh, in our roles. Great. Thanks a million, David, for, for, for that input. Um, I have to say it's really great to, to hear the commitment here from senior male staff to the, to the gender equality agenda, particularly you know, someone who is tasked with driving this policy at a national level, but to hear that level of commitment um, within the institutions. And I think in your comments, the importance and power of personal experience really came through but also um a real personal com- commitment to advancing gender equality and i think that that the messages coming across are so powerful um but also i guess the, the personal experience really shows that gender equality is pervasive across all sectors not just not just higher education and really we're in a space now where we're moving beyond um trying to prove that gender inequality exists and we, we we've accepted that and and um and we're, we're trying to rectify it but um despite the dedication of those um here today um we are still facing ongoing challenges uh, to engage more men in this work i mean all the evidence the, the hard evidence the anecdotal evidence that we have points to the fact that that women are still carrying the load in, in advancing this work um so I guess that uh, I'd like to touch on a topic that I that I'd call kind of men versus gender equality, and um, to see what what people's opinions are. So so I might just go back to the start and and, and start with, with with David Deniff, but then I'll just leave it open to anyone who who wants to come in as well. So, so David, I might just uh, ask, you know, what do you think holds men back from getting involved in gender equality initiatives? I think the the biggest thing that most men fail to realise is that we fundamentally come from a position of privilege, being raised as males, being raised as boys into young men, into into men, and everything that's going for for us. Um, and I think that's we 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 make all these assumptions that it's as easy for everybody else and it's as easy for women. Um, but as we as as we get older, we're beginning to realise, and I think society. And our society begin to realise that women are carrying that load, as you describe it. They they carry the primary responsibility for caring. They carry the primary responsibility in a lot of areas and not getting that recognition. So really, our role has to be in advocating. What holds us back is probably a failure to recognise. And then when we do recognise this, well, how do we go about this? And how do we actually influence other men to actually make that difference? Yeah, and 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 the touching on the the concept of male privilege is really we're not always aware of that. We we think that all things are equal. Um, Martin, do you do you want to come in? Yeah, I I think it, it, fairness is, is a lot of what I would consider with, with all of these things, and I, I think be it subconsciously or consciously, uh, when when looking at at say uh, gender quotas uh, in areas like that to try and address imbalances, I think there's a fear that. A male would be displaced as part of that. Now, at times, that's deservedly so. Sometimes boards can grow to accommodate, but I think that it's it's kind of why would I encourage something that could actually do me harm? Some people will, some people won't. 
But I think that's the subconscious that they're not going to promote something that that they could perceive that could negatively impact uh, impact themselves. And and I kind of I always pull this very very strange uh, analogy in my mind. I'm a great one for trying to throw examples in. But you take the scenario in an aeroplane where people keep dropping their seats backwards every single time, and I'd often be on a flight and the seat behind in front of me comes drops backwards, and I'm like, God, I have no room here. I'm very uncomfortable. But my wife, my wife just said, "Put your seat back." I said what if the person behind me seat won't go back or the person behind them or somebody has difficulty? Say, no, do you know what? It's uncomfortable, but I'll sit here. I'll, I'll be uncomfortable. I won't perpetuate the problem because that's all that happens. And I think people need to push themselves a little bit out of their comfort zone and not perpetuate the problem. I think that's what we really need to see in this space. Um, David Smith? Funny enough, Ross, I, I think it's much more simple why, why there's a, a lack of engagement. I think it's fear. In really, really simple terms, I, I think that we recognise, as you say, there's gaps, there's inequality, as, as David has said. We also note the privilege that that we have, but I think there's a fear of appearing to be patronising, to be, you know, as I say, unsure. We don't have the lived experience. You know, we can listen and we can support and mentor our colleagues, but that lack of lived experience and I'd say deep knowledge of understanding. I mean, that that. I'm not going to say present a barrier, but I think certainly it, it makes us tentative around kind of direct engagement. And what I found is once you get over that and you maybe immerse yourself into the into the conversation and have the understanding around the difficult things, whether it's to do with caring, whether it's to do with life stages, different responsibilities, you can have a very open conversation. Your colleagues just want you to recognize that, that, that as I say, you're willing to have that and, and demonstrate that understanding, but I think there is no doubt there is a there's an initial fear to to be to be part of this kind of conversation because it's it's not our lived experience. Michael Loftus, um... yeah, thanks, Ross. Um, I think it's it's can be a bit of a complex matter for men to know how best to support the EDI agenda. Do you step forward, or can you be more effective operating in the background, for example, by supporting female colleagues rather than seeking to lead? in a traditional manner uh, and that's that's a question i believe this kind of comes back to developing a more sophisticated notion of leadership than the simple one often portrayed in the media i think that uh, in many cases it's more about leading in a way which facilitates the achievements the achievement of positive outcomes on the edi front rather than leading from the front in a traditional manner so leading to facilitate and leading to support uh, to, to me, is probably more important in this context, and it takes a bit of what, it takes some time for us to to figure that out. In some cases, men will be seen as the problem. Um, they may not feel welcome, or they may not be welcome in some contexts. Uh, a younger female colleague recently referred to pale male and grey men in my company, and I am pale male and grey, so the comment was uh, was accurate. But, but I felt it kind of stereotyped me and meant that any contribution I was going to make in that conversation subsequently would be perceived as being out of date or irrelevant, despite the fact that I'm, I'm very active on the EDI front. So there's a lot of subtleties here. Um, I guess men can be oversensitive. Sometimes, as, as the other contributors have said, we don't appreciate the privileged nature of the uh, existence that we've had to date. And it takes a bit of thinking to try and find a way that you can navigate through that and still come out and make a a constructive contribution and have it appreciated as a constructive contribution. That's a really, that's a really interesting point. And it's, uh, and I I mean, coming from someone who has 
leading on gender equality at the at the HEA. I've I've had um those comments made to me as well because it is a uh, slightly incongruous to have a a, a white male and um, pushing the agenda. But I suppose th- I'd ask a question then: is there is there an, is is there a, a, an opportunity there for you know pale grey um <laughs> males to <laughs> to, uh, to 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 shift the focus? Yeah, the, 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 the shift for me certainly has been more towards uh, working in this uh, facilitation type leadership mode as distinct from being the person who's up front. I've a, I've a, a lot of uh, female contacts in my network who will ring me, ring me regularly to get my opinion on something and I'll ring them. Um, all done quietly. They'll be interested. Have I encountered situation X, Y or Z? They're trying to navigate their way through it and they'll place a value on advice uh, that they might receive from me. And similarly, I contact them if I'm looking to, to navigate through something. To me, that's a different model of leadership. It, it's leadership that enables uh, and helps and supports, uh, in this instance, female leaders to be absolutely the best they can be and to take their fantastic contribution in return, as distinct from trying to draw uh, all the focus in on oneself. That might have been the case in, in many traditional uh, male-orientated uh, leadership models in times past. That's that's really that's really interesting, Michael. And, and I suppose a point like in the ADI space, we, we often talk across all equality grounds about the need for allyship. I think that's really what you're you're talking about there. It's not trying to, you know, take control or blow your own trumpet, but actually be there as an ally for 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 those people who need you. A hundred percent, Ross. And I think as well, you know. It's not done on Twitter. It's not done on LinkedIn. This isn't people who are weaponizing the EDI agenda for career advancement. This is people who are genuinely working together to try and advance the, 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 the idea of EDI and the cause of EDI in a fundamental way just because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, apparently. Great. Um, Liam, do you want to come in? Yeah, please, Ross. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I very much agree. And, and congrats your question in, in relation to, to you know what can we do given given the the the, the, the grey haired white male, if you like. But I think that it's important that we do. We're seen to contribute, and and really, it's a case that and, and it, it holds for for gender equality, but it holds for multiple other things in life as well. If we see something is not right, it needs to be called out. And I think, you know, it's it's incumbent on us to make sure that we do that. So if we see an issue around gender equality or other issues, that we're not silent, that we are seen to step up and say, that's wrong, that needs to be changed. And and what are other contribution? And there was a reference earlier to, to gender quotas. And I think that um, gender quotas certainly, uh, I, I believe, were necessary at, at particular points in time to address gaps in relation to, to the females but for the long term i think we'll we'll you know and i don't want to get a full gender quota discussion but i don't think it's ideal for the long term that we that we that gender quotas should be there ultimately we will have succeeded and and continue to succeed in the world of of, of equality and inclusion uh, diversity and inclusion when we can move from the the gender quota uh, type of system because ultimately to me it's the best person should be getting the job as opposed to, to you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the general situation. Thanks, Ross. Okay. Thanks, Liam. And that, and that is a battle, I guess, as to how do you, how do you initiate positive action initiatives? But, um, 
but not not make it um, discriminatory. Um, yeah, just probably to, to build on Liam's point, I think um, it really does come down to being open and being and being constructive and being prepared to say, look, things are better when we have that diversity of, of voices in the room or diversity of voices at the table. Uh, and things work better because of that. Um, I, I think if we all walk into a room and we're all pale male, uh, <laughs> pale grey male, uh, we're only going to get pale male grey views. So therefore, it's better that we get other people in there from different backgrounds, whether different genders, different, different identities. It, 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 it can only be better. And that's what you have to say to people who say, well, why are you involved in this or why are you connecting to this? David Smith. Thanks, Ross. I, I, I'm intrigued. I'd like to ask a question because Liam touched on something that has kind of, you know, uh, I'm not going to say concerned me, but it was always something that was in my mind. And and don't want to get into a conversation about uh, gender quota, but positive actions to address discrimination. And I would have always in the past been a strong advocate of meritocracy. You know, and that's that was the view that I had that if if you were right for the role, uh, irrespective of gender, you should get it. And that I would f- feel that at the time that if you felt that you know an accommodation was made, it would undermine you know the kind of the, the caliber of the individual, or it was a slight on the caliber of the individual. But going through with my female colleagues, I have an understanding now, a better understanding. As I said, the need to say positive action, you know, kind of strategies and mechanisms to resource and support colleagues to move into these roles. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, and I'm not looking for an answer here, but like Liam, are we responsible for carrying forward that kind of notion that it should still always be meritocratic and that we're we're not finding what I say is 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 the right solution? Um, and as I said, it's it's not about quotas and not, but it's having an understanding that actually positive action or, you know, kind of policies or strategies are actually required because we're never going to bridge that gap. Um, I, I, and that's something that I still struggle with. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, it's something that I've been thinking about over the week that you know, in advance of the, the conversation. Um, are we, as I say, are we the ones that drive the meritocratic agenda? Liam, do you want to come back in there? Sure, yeah, no, no. I think, I think, I think that that uh, I, I agree agree with 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 David in terms of the, of the comments, and I think that uh, really, I suppose what we what we need to make sure um, is that is that you know, yeah, I think meritocracy is is the the, the it would be a terrible way in terms of where 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 we're at and where where we're going. So we we need to make sure that it's it's a more inclusive. More women are in women more, and it's not just women. I think it, 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 the whole EDI agenda—it's gender, it's 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 uh, it's diversity, it's inclusion, it's it's race, it's ethnicity. I think we need we need to include in, make sure that you know those that are have not to date had the opportunity that they're also brought in, and I think we, we will have succeeded when we see a very much more diverse. Uh, society and certainly the sector that we're in, where we see lots of of um, uh, uh, diversity that is to the fore, and and what I mean is to the fore at the senior levels within the organisation, helping to make uh, 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 the difference and helping to drive the direction and future direction in in our case of the educational sector. Michael, yeah, uh, I fought for the uh, introduction of gender quotas on our academic council committees, and I fought for it because primarily when women were hugely underrepresented in that context. 
And I know from uh, speaking with women colleagues who've researched uh, in this area, they've indicated to me that if we rely on organic development to achieve gender equality, it'll be multiple generations before we get there. Therefore, uh, gender quotas and so on are massively imperfect. But I think we need them in the immediate term to rebalance the ship and give us the opportunity to go for meritocracy uh, into the future. And I, I think that's the way to go. I, I think there's, there's issues we can solve within our organizations, but I think there are huge issues within our society uh, that need to be addressed. So, for example, if you go into a traditional engineering area today, you'll find it's male-dominated from early years onwards, whereas if you go into life sciences, you'll find it's much more likely to be field-dominated or female-dominated from early years onwards. I think there's huge issues around that that go back into primary, post-primary, uh, education out into society more generally in the formative experience of our children who become the adults that we we know are today and i'd like to see us have some joined up thinking in relation to that uh, again which gives us the best opportunity going forward to achieve balance in all these areas martin would you like to come in on that point yeah, just just in terms of the meritocracy, and, and like we, of course we strive to get the best person for, for the job, and people who are against this, say, be it quotas or any kind of um, equality in this space, will, will always tout the meritocracy, best person for, for the job. But our system already fails us, that we don't necessarily get the best person for, for the job. We get the best person who can fill in a CV. We get the per- best person who can sit and interview. And we create those confines and that's who comes forward and gets the job. We don't know if that's the best person. It's like your driving test because you pass the 20-minute test. Are you a good driver? No, you can drive for 20 minutes. We need to bring in these different variables. We, we need to say, well, actually, we're going to interview 10 female, 10 male candidates. We're going to need 10 with PhDs, 10 with MSCs. And if, if we do an exhaustive search, we might find the best person. But we're not. We're, we don't do exhaustive searches at the moment. So I don't see any harm at least trying something, you know, you, you learn, you learn nothing by doing nothing, but at least if you try it, you learn. But that's kind of my view to the argument of the meritocracy anyway. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I actually agree with you, Martin, and, and, and what Michael was also saying is that it, it's, it's an ideal, you know, the, the, this notion that we can have a meritocracy because, as you say, of all of those variables. And I think what Michael has said, we have to do whatever we can to accelerate, you know, a move to genuine equality. And actually, whether that is quotas or other, you know, as I say, positive action or uh, strategies, we're not going to get to meritocracy because there are too many variables in the actual, either the selection process, the appointment process, or prior to actually even entering into higher education, as you say, kind of, you know, all the way down to kind of societal and, and civic challenges that are there actually for, uh, for us. So, you know, the, the issues are probably pre-entry into higher education they have to be addressed as much as uh what we're doing within higher education there, there's there's a lot to be done um so yeah no, thanks I, I i agree with that i i think i think it's a case of uh we, we're doing what we what we i feel we're doing what we can at the, the higher education sector but but lots of the uh interventions are critical uh at the the secondary and at the primary level, I mean, I think that, you know, we, we, we again, going back to the personal situation, I have two daughters that were very much um, partly interested in, in technical uh, uh, issues when they were in primary school. But when they moved into secondary, that kind of they moved away from that. Now, I, I think that there, 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 there needs to be some way, certainly in the, the, the junior search cycle stage, and certainly on the careers guidance, where there is a, a way that that females are kept uh, motivated and interested in 
in uh, technical areas because uh, at this point in time, both of my daughters, neither of them are interested. And, and, and I would put a lot of it down to, to uh, both the peers in school, but also uh, the, the um, lack of, of understanding from a careers guidance perspective in terms of where the careers and opportunities are. I mean, I mean, we, we, you know, we, we've seen, we, we know that the shortages we've got, certainly in the IT sector, right? And we've seen very few uh, females taking up uh, IT programs, but those that do, they excel, they're brilliant. So can we, can we look and see how we can get more uh, uh, females uh, interested and encouraged? And I know that there, there are initiatives that, that happen like Coder Jojo, not just female specific, uh, but also uh, other initiatives like certainly I'm aware of Limerick for IT. It's an initiative that happens in, in the Midwest region, trying, trying to get uh, uh, secondary school students to look at careers and, and then they will ultimately pick the, the subjects in school that are going to lead them to those careers. So, so again, the, the, to summarise, we need to look at the interventions back at secondary and at primary level. Thank you. Yeah, and that's, just to follow on from Lisa, I think the key intervention that allows us to move beyond quotas will be basically uh, developing people and giving people the development opportunities so that they know about that they have the skills and the wherewithal to be able to step in where required. So I think initiatives like Aurora, great initiative, but I'd love to see one that would be driven by, a, by an Irish Irish body. You know what I mean? That we would do it ourselves and that we would have to develop our, our own people and, uh, you know, not just in gender, but across the diversity of, 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 of our population. So I think, I think that's really important that we look towards continually doing leadership development. And this probably applies to, to males as well, because I don't think we do enough of that in, in our sector. I think we need to basically support our managers, support our leaders in what they do. Martin? Yeah, I just want to come back on, as I say, to, to Liam's point there, uh, just a, a very recent example that, that I've experienced. That we, we've started two new MSc programs in the last uh, probably seven or eight weeks. The two programs are 80% taught the content the same, the project is how they differ. But one is called an MSc in games and extended reality, and the other is MSc in computer animation. So I was curious to see what the way the gender balance would land on that. On the MSc in games, it's one female to 14 males. And on computer animation, it's the exact seven, seven split. And that leans hugely into the problems of society that, you know, we're, we're saying that, oh, animation is something that's creative. It's, it's visual. It, it'll suit this cohort. Games, that's techie. It'll suit that cohort. And that, that's not leaving search students. These are MSc, mature students. So society is, is it's informing people wrong at a much, much earlier point, be it at primary school, be it at secondary school. But that's carrying right away through, as we're seeing now, adults well into their 30s who are still just looking on face value and seeing, oh, animation, I'm more at that game. But they're not digging down because we haven't taught them to dig down into it. And we've taught them that labels are what we look at in society. And that's not the direction we should be going. We should be looking at depth, ultimately. Um, Philip, do you want to come in? Yeah, uh, uh, there's quite a lot of interesting discussion there. Now, uh, but uh, one thing that should be clear, uh, essentially in terms of uh, getting gender equality is that gaining equality is not linear and it's not sequential in terms of thinking that you'll work on gender equality first and then you'll work on, on inclusivity and then you'll work on another. These all have to be combined together and moved forward uh, at the same time. Now, my view is that 
high education institutions uh, for, 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 for the, the HEs to advance gender equality, uh, uh, they, they should start it in a way that it's gender equal by default, which means that because we are starting from such a far distance away, you must have the affirmative action, for example, the Sallies, for example, the Auroras, to create that baseline that then says that, well, we are now gender equal by default. So it means that anything going on after that, if you don't have it, then it would almost be like you're naked and you can be shamed in a way that you shy away from the, from the public until you have it, then you come back. Now, for me, again, it's important that we focus on, especially when you're trying to deal with very precarious situations, the focus should be on gender equality and particularly on intersectionality, which enables a more robust handling of equality, diversity, and inclusivity in a sustainable and a meaningful perspective. Thanks, Philip. And, and, and I have to say, I found it really interesting to hear the discussion of, of quotas because it, it's something that um, I suppose gender equality advocates push the HEA to try to enforce on on institutions but i mean we've been discussing here how problematic that whole issue is and and around positive action but it kind of brings me back to the idea that gender equality is often seen as a women's issue and that any positive action in the edi space is purely designed to benefit um female staff in our institutions but but i wonder how can gender equality work actually benefit men as well? Martin? Yeah, well, I, I was thinking about this and I actually think we need to take it out of the classroom and take it into society because what happens in society is reflected in the classroom. And one thing which I don't think anyone can disagree with is mental health challenges amongst men. It's, it's off, off the charts. There's suicide rates far away the number of suicide rates in, in females. But that's because of the influences that we surround ourselves in. If we have better gender quotas, better gender balances within our classroom environments, within our social circles, we're going to live a healthier existence. We're not going to experience this this stereotypical masculinity where big boys don't cry, as it were. Um, and that will then translate into the classroom where you just, and I, I did allude to it earlier on, it's a, just a healthier space to be in because we're not trying to all be alpha dogs. We're not trying to be the Johnny, uh, Johnny Bravos or the, the Coca-Cola man. You know, we can kind of, come down a little bit off that pedestal. So I just I think mental health predominantly is where we're going to be strengthened by having a better balance within within the university environment, but also within the, the wider society. Thanks, Martin. Um, Michael, do you want to come in on that yeah. point? Uh, thanks, Ross. Yeah, I think gender equality is everybody's business. It's not just a women's uh, issue. We need to ensure that all members of society are fully represented and full, feel fully represented in an inclusive uh, world. I think men benefit enormously from participating in gender equality work in our universities and elsewhere as a consequence of being exposed to a broad range of opinions and viewpoints, many of which uh, will challenge our assumptions and our oversights and inform how best we can contribute to creating a more equal and inclusive society in which diversity is celebrated. So gender equality for me is everyone's business. Yeah. Philip? Yeah, uh, yeah and I, I totally agree with that. Now, uh, and it must be seen to be gender neutral in itself. In fact, I can extend that and say that if you are not sensitive to gender equality issues, then you're lacking in a very serious spice of life as a male. Now, gender equality can benefit men uh, in our higher education system. First of all, 
through that intrinsic contentment as a champion of basic human rights. And then uh, when you start nurturing inclusion, it enables our female colleagues to sharpen their ambition, knowing that there's always a support and mentorship that is available for them to reach their potential. Now, and for me, at this age of my career, my achievement as a man for the university in a gender balanced team is worth more than, uh, more than my achievement as an individual and whether it's in a project assignment or by research. And therefore, uh, to broaden the same feeling at an institutional level, it requires my support of that nurturing for the, for, for, for the gender equality to take root. Thanks, Philip. It's it's really a paradigm shift, I guess, and it's and it's a paradigm shift that can't just be affected in in our institutions. That it it's something that, as uh, as as many of you said, needs to start much earlier and needs to be across all the whole spectrum of of social existence outside of education and and so on. Um, I might. Um, Michael spoke previously about, I guess, what I'd call the importance of informal networks and and working away in the background to support um to support gender equality work. You know things like allyship, and and Philip just mentioned mentoring, and and it's interesting because the research is showing that that we need to move away from mentoring and move more into this um space of sponsorship and and uh, you know not not talking to people and 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 david smith did um i think um you know you come across as kind of condescending or patronizing um when you're trying, when you're you know up on a pedestal and and saying let's do this that and the other so uh, i might just move to kind of a more a focus more on practical advice um I mean, we have been talking about what men can do to improve gender equality, but just from your own experience in your own institutions, what have you um, seen done? What's worked well? Um, Michael, do you want to come in? Yeah, just briefly there. Um, I, I use the phrase peer support, actually, rather than men- mentorship or sponsorship, because to me, does equality is built into that phrase and it's built into the uh, approach. And it needs to be two way. Uh, certainly, I, I would engage with uh, a lot of female friends, colleagues, contacts, and, and when asked, offer some opinion uh, privately in relation to me. But I will equally ask for opinions and inputs, and I think that's the way to proceed. In some cases, uh, in terms of direct action, I have uh, stepped back to leave more space for female colleagues to excel. I've stepped off committees. I've stepped out of particular roles and uh, because I know that there are uh, colleagues there who can do a terrific job. And if they get that experience, it tees them up to go on and do more. Uh, and I think that's an important uh, aspect of it as well. I, I think the, the other important um, aspects are another uh, something that I, I certainly try to do by way of direct action, try to get as many opportunities as possible to get in, insights into life journeys that have been very different from mine, which gives some level of appreciation of the challenges that people have faced ultimately makes the challenge human for me. And, and that's, that's something then to easily get motivated about and make a positive contribution to subsequently. Yeah, that, that's really, that's really interesting, Michael, because, um, you know, we're talking about equality and for some reason we all think that we've had, everything has been equal for us all, all through our lives. And it's only when you, you know, dig beneath the surface and, and, and really understand some of the bar- barriers that our female colleagues have faced that you begin to see, 
uh, the issues and begin to think about how we might address them. Yeah, I saw a very good uh, um, example, actually, of uh, an external organization recognizing this very well. We worked with uh, Dell Technologies here locally. They created the Dell Pride Aspire program, and they got their LGBTQI plus staff to come along and mentor our LGBTQI plus students about the challenges they would face in the workplace in, in trying to be their authentic selves. So they prepared them for those challenges in advance to make their journey easier. And, and, and here what you have is multi-generational learning passing from uh, one cohort to the next in, in a sophisticated, advanced and really caring manner. And I think there's something in that that we, we could learn from and maybe apply more broadly in this context. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, David Ross, Daniff. to build on um, Michael's point there, I think that idea of supporting networking and supporting people to support others is the key thing. I've been involved in a number of women in sport leadership initiatives across a wide range of sports, and that's the one thing that has really worked is that that they they've seen they can see others who have done this, who have been there and, and, and realise that, well, if they can do it, I can do this. And, and, and to, to basically to champion those who have done this and to, to use them as ambassadors and as role models to bring people on. I think that's a key thing. And that's that Michael's initiative there. That Aspire one is, sounds absolutely super. Great. David Smith? Yeah, it's just interesting what um, Michael was saying there. Uh, speaking to my wife earlier in the week, she She's actually just back from Iceland uh, and she met the prime minister there. And I think everybody recognizes Iceland as the gold standard. So full of conversation. But the point about the authentic self was interesting. She was saying that, you know, research that that she was looking into was that she had this concept of called covering. Now, I, I don't know the detail, but that men, women and underrepresented groups are still not fully the, their authentic selves in their roles within their jobs and actually you know, there's a bigger piece to be done actually around that and, and that even in our support roles and our endorsements, you know, that, you know, that we are, I don't know what value my, my support or my endorsement can be, is, but we need to be 100% committed to ensuring that those opportunities are created for our colleagues, whether they're female, whether they're, as I say, underrepresented and that they can believe that they can be their authentic selves. And I don't know if the culture in society or in HGE is there yet. I think there are there are still knowledge gaps and I think respect gaps as well that have to be kind of bridged as well. And I think they're, they're things that I find challenging and it, 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 it prompted something in my mind when David um, Deneef was talking about Aurora. It's an amazing program. Um, there's no Aurora for men and not that we need it in respect of career progression, but Jesus, we need it in, in respect of understanding. You know, and, and, and that is something that if there was a something similar that would actually address the respect gap, you know, and that that was would support us to have that that fuller understanding of those genuine challenges. Um, and, and so so I, I think Aurora, everything that we're doing under Tina Swan are, you know, immensely important and, and successful. But there is still a gap that has to be addressed in some way for all of us to be, you know, 100 percent and authentic in ourselves, in our roles. Uh, just uh, just to, to pick up on that point, uh, recently I know that our own EDI unit uh, partnering with UCD and IADT made a submission to the HEA Gender Equality Enhancement Fund for 2022 
and we're successful in that. So, well, I should know the, that, Michael, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the the the, uh, the the program that's going to come out of that is a program entitled "Engaging Men in Building Gender Equality," and it's the development of a pilot program in Irish HEIs to address this very topic. So thanks to the HEA for the support. I, I think it is a key point and it'll be really interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, Th- Thanks, Michael. And I have to say, we're really excited about that. It's something that I felt has been needed in, this, in the system for a long time. Um, Martin, do you want to come in? Yeah, and I think the solutions that presented here, they're excellent. But I think they centred around supporting our peers, uh, our, our female colleagues, in, in listing them up into that space. But I actually think we, we, we need to go one step further and use the privilege or platform or, or whatever label we apply to it to actually work with our male colleagues to, you know, we're the problem and we're the solution. I think we need to call call out inappropriate behavior when we see it. And I gave it in my per, my personal example where I didn't see an issue until I be, became into the higher education space. And I, I met some great people who, who started to show me there was a problem. Now, I wouldn't have proactively done anything negative, but I then became proactive doing stuff that was positive. And I think even alongside the work we do with, with our female colleagues, we need to work with our male colleagues to, to highlight all of these issues, call out inappropriate behavior, quotas on interview panels, uh, like, like Michael was saying, quotas on, um, without bringing back up the quotas conversation, but quotas on academic councils, you know, start. And then if somebody gripes about it, you know, over the pint, over the game of football, you, you call them out on it. And actually... They learn. They learn when they hear. But if they don't hear, they definitely won't learn. That that's for certain. Thanks, Martin. Liam, can I leave the last point on this topic to you? Great. Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks, Ross. I, I, an initiative that I've seen run very successfully, um, uh, Explore Engineering, uh, this an industry-led initiative supporting education training providers in Midwest and beyond, right? And, and it's ultimately, it's trying to get more, uh, increase the quantity and quality of engineering talent available in the country. As part of that, it's, so it's a mix of employers and the HEIs that are that are uh, coming together to look at careers for for um, uh, uh, ultimately for, for graduates. But there is a specific part of it that's called Inspire, and that's where they bring in female role models to address the the um, uh, the audience, right? And part of a, a decision that was made, um, uh, certainly for the last one, is that right. We're not just going to bring in the female role models. We're going to bring in some male role models, where, whereby some of the the, the uh, females that are going to going to attend can see what's possible. So, in other words, it was trying to get more, encourage more females, but not just using uh, female role models, but using male role models also. So, I think that that's important. That it, it's 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 inclusive across the board, and that that was a, a conscious decision that was taken by the group. Thanks, Liam. Um, we're, we're, all, we're, we're running out of time here, but this, this conversation has been, it's been so interesting, so wide-ranging. And uh, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, I, I listen to our, our female colleagues more than our male colleagues just because of the nature of those in, in EDI roles and, and, and working on gender equality in the institutions. But it's really empowering to, to hear you all talk so passionately about your commitment to gender equality and and I think um it's it's it, it it would be powerful as well for 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 both male and female colleagues to to, to hear this um to hear this uh conversation but I, I guess as I said we're running out of time so I'm going to finish with, with one big question which is a really easy one um you know 
David Smith kind of uh, it, it was describing, I guess, to 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 to, to put words in his mouth how we're still swimming upstream, even though we we we've we've come so far. So, so my question is, where do we go from here? You know, what what, what should our future aspirations be, and what do you see as the next big win for gender equality in higher education in Ireland, Michael? Yeah, thanks, Ross. Uh, I think, look, it's clear we need to see a greater proportion of women in leadership positions across Irish higher education. And whatever needs to be done to achieve that, we absolutely uh, have to to go there. We also need greater gender balance across disciplinary areas, which currently feature a strong gender bias in both student and staff populations. We spoke about it earlier, traditional engineering areas, male-dominated, life sciences, uh, female-dominated. We need to change that from the earliest stages of the development of our children so that our society in, in, in the future um, is, is less biased from day one, giving us uh, the, the um, more fair and equitable, equitable outcomes for all in society for the, uh, for the future. Thank you. The, uh, Philip, would you like to come in? Uh, th- th- thanks, Ross. Now, uh, uh, first of all, in, in my view, uh, we must recognize that gender equality uh, uh, is not an event. It's a cultural shift. Now, it requires really careful nurturing and a constant review of, of, of performance. Now, and again, it's not something that you will address through webinars and meetings and then tick a box in the end. It requires real own KPIs and close attention and reviews embedded in it. Now, therefore, if we are working that way, my view is that gender equality must be embedded in institutional quality framework. And by quality framework, I'm talking about quality assurance and quality enhancement. And this is for a simple reason that higher education develops and nurtures role models in today's society. So the advancement through quality enhancement, it recognizes that there's always a perpetual room and opportunities for improvement and offers opportunities for correcting any imbalance. For example, if we set the the baseline that we are gender equal, now any future change in that will always be iteratively addressed through performance monitoring. And once we can get that, then we know we'll have our solution at hand. Yeah, I I think they're they're all great points. And and, and I'd like to add to it, I, I think it also goes back to culture and caring. Right. And, and to give you what I mean by that and, and what I would see as what would be the next big win, uh, I, I, we occasionally, I occasionally get, um, you know, uh, applications to apply for the shorter working week and indeed for, for the shorter working year. And invariably, there are females that are applying for that. Now, to make it equitable, I would like to see some applications from males applying for that shorter working week and that shorter working year. And then I believe we will be really on the path to uh, uh, gender balance. Yeah, I, just if I may, Ross, just I think what Liam is saying there, you know, that, that shorter working week, again, the female colleagues are taking that on because of their, you know, normally their caring responsibilities or parent respons- responsibilities. So it's a societal thing. It is, you know, men being willing to acknowledge that they have equal responsibilities in all of those, uh, you know, those areas of, of family and other, other areas of responsibility. And in higher education, there should be no impediment to a male colleague seeking to, to, to take that on. And equally, you know, for female colleagues that do take it on, that they are not disadvantaged as they move through their careers. So 
So there's the social element, but I think actually when you look at all of those other factors, you know, the public service, and I'm talking right across the public service, there's a lot that could be done in respect to changes in policy at a national level that could positively affect opportunities in higher education and, and positively impact society. I, I think, you know, you know, Philip has made some very, very good points around kind of what we can do in HE, but actually outside of that, you know, access opportunity, all of those things within society that actually increases uh, diversity within higher education, they all have to be in place as well to see to see the real impact and change that we're, we're, we're all looking for. Thanks, David. Um, okay, well, I, I guess we'll just wrap up because we, we're, we're coming up to our, our time. But I'd just like to say thank you to everyone today for such a rich discussion today and, and for your input and again to to just say it's it's so great to see the the commitment to this agenda and i guess i'll just end by um wishing everyone a happy international men's day so thank you all thank you Ross. everybody Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Southeast Technological University. For more information, please visit setu.ie.